0: book Four, part i of the republic by plato this librivox recording is in the public domain read by bob Neufeld. here adamantus interposed a question how would you answer socrates said he if a person were to say that you are making these people miserable and that they are the cause of their own unhappiness the city in fact belongs to them but they are none the better for it whereas other men acquire lands and build large and handsome houses and have everything handsome about them offering sacrifices to the gods on their own account and practising hospitality moreover as you were saying just now they have gold and silver and all that is usual among the favourites of fortune that our poor citizens are no better than mercenaries who are quartered in the city and are always mounting guard yes i said and you may add that they are only fed and not paid in addition to their food like other men and therefore they cannot if they would take a journey of pleasure they have no money to spend on a mistress or on any luxurious fancy which as the world goes is thought to be happiness and many other accusations of the same nature might be added but, said he, let us suppose all this to be included in the charge. You mean to ask, I said, what will be our answer? Yes. If we proceed along the old path, my belief, I said, is that we shall find the answer. And our answer will be that, even as they are, our guardians may very likely be the happiest of men. But our aim in founding the state was not the disproportionate happiness of any one class, But the greatest happiness of the whole. We thought that in a state which is ordered with a view to the good of the whole, we should be most likely to find justice, and having found them, we might then decide which of the two is the happier. At present, I take it, we are fashioning the happy state not piecemeal or with a view of making a few happy citizens, but as a whole, and by and by we will proceed to view the opposite kind of state. Suppose that we were painting a statue, and someone came up to us and said, Why do you not put the most beautiful colors on the most beautiful parts of the body? The eyes are to be purple, but you have made them black. To him we might fairly answer, Sir, you would not surely have us beautify the eyes to such a degree that they are no longer eyes. Consider rather whether, by giving this or the other features their due proportion, we make the whole beautiful and so i say to you do not compel us to assign to the guardians a sort of happiness which will make them anything but guardians for we too can clothe our husbandmen in royal apparel and set crowns of gold on their heads and bid them till the ground as much as they like and no more our potters also might be allowed to repose on couches and feast by the fireside passing round the wine-cup while their wheel is conveniently at hand and working at pottery only as much as they like in this way we might make every class happy and then as you imagine the whole state would be happy but do not put this idea into our heads for if we listen to you the husbandman will be no longer a husbandman the potter will cease to be a potter and no one will have the character of any distinct class in the state Now this is not of much consequence, where the corruption of society and pretension to be what you are not is confined to cobblers, but when the guardians of the laws and of the government are only seeming and not real guardians, then see how they turn the state upside down, and on the other hand they alone have the power of giving order and happiness to the state. We mean our guardians to be true saviors and not the destroyers of the state whereas our opponent is thinking of peasants at a festival who are enjoying a life of revelry not of citizens who are doing their duty to the state but if so we mean different things and he is speaking of something which is not a state and therefore we must consider whether in appointing our guardians we would look to their greatest happiness individually or whether this principle of happiness does not rather reside in the state as a whole But if the latter be the truth, then the guardians and auxiliaries, and all others equal with them, must be compelled or induced to do their own work in the best way. And thus the whole state will grow up in a noble order, and the several classes will receive the proportion of happiness which nature assigns to them. I think that you are quite right. I wonder whether you will agree with another remark which occurs to me. What might that be? There seem to be two causes of the deterioration of the arts. What are they? Wealth, I said, and poverty. How do they act? The process is as follows. When a potter becomes rich, will he, think you, any longer take the same pains with his art? Certainly not. He will grow more and more indolent and careless? Very true and the result will be that he becomes a worse potter yes he greatly deteriorates but on the other hand if he has no money and cannot provide himself with tools or instruments he will not work equally well himself nor will he teach his sons or apprentices to work equally well certainly not then under the influence either of poverty or of wealth workmen and their work are equally liable to degenerate that is evident. Here, then, is a discovery of new evils, I said, against which the guardians will have to watch, or they will creep into the city unobserved. What evils? Wealth, I said, and poverty. The one is the parent of luxury and indolence, and the other of meanness and viciousness, and both of discontent. That is very true." he replied but still i should like to know socrates how our city will be able to go to war especially against an enemy who is rich and powerful if deprived of the sinews of war there would certainly be a difficulty i replied in going to war with one such enemy but there is no difficulty where there are two of them how so he asked in the first place i said if we have to fight Our side will be trained warriors fighting against an army of rich men. That is true, he said. And do you not suppose, Adamantus, that a single boxer who is perfect in his art would easily be a match for two stout and well-to-do gentlemen who were not boxers? Hardly, if they came upon him at once. What now, I said, if we were able to run away and then turn and strike at the one who first came up? and supposing he were to do this several times under the heat of a scorching sun, might he not, being an expert, overturn more than one stout personage? Certainly, he said, there would be nothing wonderful in that. And yet rich men probably have a greater superiority in the science and practice of boxing than they have in military qualities. Likely enough. Then we may assume that our athletes will be able to fight with two or three times their own number. I agree with you, for I think you're right. And supposing that, before engaging, our citizens send an embassy to one of the two cities, telling them what is the truth. Silver and gold we neither have nor are permitted to have, but you may. Do you therefore come and help us in war, and take the spoils of the other city?' who on hearing these words would choose to fight against lean wiry dogs rather than with the dogs on their side against fat and tender sheep that is not likely and yet there might be a danger to the poor state if the wealth of many states were to be gathered into one but how simple of you to use the term state at all of any but our own why so you ought to speak of other states in the plural number not one of them is a city but many cities as they say in the game for indeed any city however small is in fact divided into two one the city of the poor the other of the rich these are at war with one another and in either there are many smaller divisions and you would be altogether beside the mark if you treated them all as a single state but if you deal with them as many and give the wealth or power or persons of one to the others you will always have a great many friends and not many enemies and your state while the wise order which has now been prescribed continues to prevail in her will be the greatest of states i do not mean to say in reputation or appearance but in deed and truth though she numbered not more than a thousand defenders a single state which is her equal you will hardly find either among hellenes or barbarians though many that appear to be as great and many times greater well, that is most true he said "One what i said will be the best limit for our rulers to fix when they are considering the size of the state and the amount of territory which they are to include and beyond which they will not go what limit would you propose i would allow the state to increase so far as is consistent with unity that i think is the proper limit very good he said here then i said is another order which will have to be conveyed to our guardians let our city be accounted neither large nor small but one and self-sufficing and surely said he this is not a very severe order which we impose upon them and the other said i of which we were speaking before is lighter still i mean the duty of degrading the offspring of the guardians when inferior and of elevating into the rank of guardians the offspring of the lower classes who were naturally superior the intention was that in the case of the citizens generally each individual should be put to the use for which nature intended him one to one work and then every man would do his own business and be one and not many and so the whole city would be one and not many yes he said that is not so difficult the regulations which we are prescribing my good adamantus are not as might be supposed a number of great principles but trifles all if care be taken as the saying is of the one great thing a thing however which i would rather call not great but sufficient for our purpose what may that be he asked education i said and nurture if our citizens are well educated and grow into sensible men they will easily see their way through all these as well as other matters which i omit such for example as marriage the possession of women and the procreation of children which will all follow the general principle that friends have all things in common as the proverb says that will be the best way of settling them also i said The state, if once started well, moves with accumulating force like a wheel. For good nurture and education implant good constitutions, and these good constitutions taking root in a good education improve more and more, and this improvement affects the breed in man as in other animals." "'Very possibly,' he said. "'Then, to sum up, this is the point to which, above all, the attention of our rulers should be directed that music and gymnastic be preserved in their original form and no innovation made they must do their utmost to maintain them intact and when any one says that mankind must regard the newest song which the singers have they will be afraid that he may be praising not new songs but a new kind of song and this ought not to be praised or conceived to be the meaning of the poet for any musical innovation is full of danger to the whole state and ought to be prohibited. So Damon tells me, and I can quite believe him. He says that when modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state always change with them. Yes, said Arimantus, and you may add my suffrage to Damon's and your own. Then I said, our guardians must lay the foundations of their fortress in music. Yes, he said the lawlessness of which you speak too easily steals in." "'Yes,' I replied, in the form of amusement, and at first sight it appears harmless." "'Why, yes,' he said, and there is no harm. Were it not that little by little this spirit of license, finding a home, imperceptibly penetrates into manners and customs, whence issuing with greater force it invades contracts between man and man and from contracts goes on to laws and constitutions in utter recklessness ending at last socrates by an overthrow of all rights private as well as public is that true i said that is my belief he replied then as i was saying our youth should be trained from the first in a stricter system for if amusements become lawless and the youths themselves become lawless they can never grow up into well-conducted and virtuous citizens very true he said and when they have made a good beginning in play and by the help of music have gained the habit of good order then this habit of order in a manner how unlike the lawless play of the others will accompany them in all their actions and be a principle of growth to them and if there be any fallen places in the state will raise them up again very true he said thus educated they will invent for themselves any lesser rules which their predecessors have altogether neglected what do you mean i mean such things as these when the young are to be silent before their elders how they are to show respect to them by standing and making them sit, what honour is due to parents, what garments or shoes are to be worn, the mode of dressing the hair, deportment and manners in general. You would agree with me? Yes. But there is, I think, small wisdom in legislating about such matters. I doubt if it is ever done, nor are any precise written enactments about them likely to be lasting. Impossible it would seem adamantus that the direction in which education starts a man will determine his future life does not like always attract like to be sure until some one rare and grand result is reached which may be good and may be the reverse of good that is not to be denied and for this reason i said i shall not attempt to legislate further about them naturally enough he replied well and about the business of the agora and the original dealings between man and man or again about agreements with artisans about insult and injury or the commencement of actions and the appointment of juries what would you say there may also arise questions about any impositions and exactions of market and harbour dues which may be required and in general about the regulations of markets police harbours and the like oh heavens Shall we condescend to legislate on any of these particulars? I think, he said, that there is no need to impose laws about them on good men. What regulations are necessary they will find out soon enough for themselves. Yes, I said, my friend, if God will only preserve to them the laws which we have given them, and without divine help, said Arimantus, they will go on forever making and bending their laws and their lives in the hope of attaining perfection you would compare them i said to those invalids who having no self-restraint will not leave off their habits of intemperance exactly yes i said and what a delightful life they lead They are always doctoring and increasing and complicating their disorders and always fancying that they will be cured by any nostrum which anybody advises them to try some cases are very common he said with invalids of this sort yes i replied and the charming thing is that they deem him their worst enemy who tells them the truth which is simply that unless they give up eating and drinking and wedging and idling neither drug nor cautery nor spell nor amulet nor any other remedy will avail charming he replied i see nothing charming in going into a passion with a man who tells you what is right these gentlemen i said do not seem to be in your good graces Uh, assuredly not nor would you praise the behaviour of states which act like the men whom i was just now describing for are there not ill-ordered states in which the citizens are forbidden under pain of death to alter the constitution and yet he who most sweetly courts those who live under this regime and indulges them and fawns upon them and is skilful at anticipating and gratifying their humours is held to be a great and good statesman Do not these states resemble the persons whom I was describing?" "'Yes,' he said, "'the states are as bad as the men, and I am very far from praising them.' "'But do you not admire,' I said, "'the coolness and dexterity of these ready ministers of political corruption?' "'Yes,' he said, "'I do, but not for all of them, for there are some whom the applause of the multitude has deluded into the belief that they are really statesmen and these are not much to be admired. What do you mean? I said. You should have more feeling for them. When a man cannot measure, and a great many others who cannot measure declare that he is four cubits high, can he help believing what they say? Nay, he said, certainly not in that case. Well, then, do not be angry with them, for are they not as good as a play, trying their hand at paltry reforms such as I was describing, They are always fancying that by legislation they will make an end of frauds in contracts and the other rascalities which I was mentioning, not knowing that they are in reality cutting off the heads of the hydra. Yes, he said, that is just what they are doing. I conceive, I said, that the true legislator will not trouble himself with this class of enactments, whether concerning laws or the Constitution either in an ill-ordered or in a well-ordered state for in the former they are quite useless and in the latter there will be no difficulty in devising them and many of them will naturally flow out of our previous regulations what then he said is still remaining to us of the work of legislation nothing to us i replied but to apollo the god of delphi there remains the ordering of the greatest and noblest and chiefest things of all which are they he said the institution of temples and sacrifices and the entire service of gods demigods and heroes also the ordering of the repositories of the dead and the rites which have to be observed by him who would propitiate the inhabitants of the world below these are matters of which we are ignorant ourselves and as founders of a city we should be unwise in trusting them to any interpreter but our ancestral deity he is the god who sits in the centre on the navel of the earth and he is the interpreter of religion to all mankind you are right and we will do as you propose but where amid all this is justice son of ariston tell me where now that our city has been made habitable light a candle and search and get your brother and Polymarchus and the rest of our friends to help and let us see where in it we can discover justice and where injustice and in what they differ from one another and which of them the man who would be happy should have for his portion whether seen or unseen by gods and men nonsense said glaucon did you not promise to search yourself saying that for you not to help justice in her need would be an impiety i do not deny that i said so and as you remind me i will be as good as my word but you must join we will he replied well then i hope to make a discovery in this way i mean to begin with the assumption that our state if rightly ordered is perfect that is most certain And being perfect is therefore wise and valiant and temperate and just. That is likewise clear. And whichever of these qualities we find in the state, the one which is not found will be the residue? Very good. If there were four things, and we were searching for one of them, wherever it might be, the one sought for might be known to us from the first, and there would be no further trouble. Or we might know the other three first, and then the fourth would be clearly the one left. Very true, he said. And it's not a similar method to be pursued about the virtues, which are also four in number. Clearly. First, among the virtues found in the state, wisdom comes into view, and in this I detect a certain peculiarity. What is that? The state which we have been describing is said to be wise as being good in counsel very true and good counsel is clearly a kind of knowledge for not by ignorance but by knowledge do men counsel well clearly and the kinds of knowledge in a state are many and diverse of course there is the knowledge of the carpenter but is that the sort of knowledge which gives a city the title of wise and good in counsel certainly not that would only give a city the reputation of skill in carpentering then a city is not to be called wise because possessing a knowledge which counsels for the best about wooden implements certainly not nor by reason of a knowledge which advises about brazen pots i said nor as possessing any other similar knowledge not by reason of any of them he said nor yet by reason of a knowledge which cultivates the earth that would give the city the name of agricultural yes well i said and is there any knowledge in our recently founded state among any of the citizens which advises not about any particular thing in the state but about the whole and considers how a state can best deal with itself and with other states there certainly is and what is this knowledge and among whom is it found i asked it is the knowledge of the guardians he replied and is found among those whom we were just now describing as perfect guardians and what is the name which the city derives from the possession of this sort of knowledge the name of good in counsel and truly wise and will there be in our city more of these true guardians or more smiths the smiths he replied will be far more numerous will not the guardians be the smallest of all the classes who receive a name from the profession of such kind of knowledge much the smallest and so by reason of the smallest part or class and of the knowledge which resides in this presiding and ruling part of itself the whole state being thus constituted according to nature will be wise and this which has the only knowledge worthy to be called wisdom has been ordained by nature to be of all classes the least most true thus then i said The nature and place in the state of one of the four virtues has somehow or other been discovered, and in my humble opinion very satisfactorily discovered," he replied. Again, I said, there is no difficulty in seeing the nature of courage, and in what part that quality resides which gives the name of courageous to the state. How do you mean? Why, I said. Every one who calls any state courageous or cowardly will be thinking of the part which fights and goes to war on the state's behalf. No one, he replied, would ever think of any other. The rest of the citizens may be courageous or may be cowardly, but their courage or cowardice will not, as I conceive, have the effect of making the city either the one or the other. Certainly not. The city will be courageous in virtue of a portion of herself which preserves under all circumstances that opinion about the nature of things to be feared and not to be feared, in which our legislator educated them, and this is what you term courage. I should like to hear what you are saying once more, for I do not think that I perfectly understand you. I mean that courage is a kind of salvation. Salvation of what? of the opinion respecting things to be feared, what they are and of what nature, which the law implants through education. And I mean by the words, under all circumstances, to intimate that in pleasure or in pain, or under the influence of desire or fear, a man preserves and does not lose his opinion. Shall I give you an illustration, if you please? You know, I said, that dyers... When they want to dye wool for making the true sea purple, begin by selecting their white color first. This they prepare and dress with much care and pains, in order that the white ground may take the purple hue in full perfection. The dyeing then proceeds, and whatever is dyed in this manner becomes a fast color, but no washing, either with lies or without them, can take away the bloom but when the ground has not been duly prepared you will have noticed how poor is the look either of purple or of any other colour yes he said i know that they have a washed-out and ridiculous appearance then now i said you will understand what our object was in selecting our soldiers and educating them in music and gymnastic we are contriving influences which would prepare them to take the dye of the laws in perfection and the colour of their opinion about dangers and of every other opinion was to be indelibly fixed by their nurture and training not to be washed away by such potent lies as pleasure mightier agent far in washing the soul than any soda or lye or by sorrow fear and desire the mightiest of all other solvents and this sort of universal saving power of true opinion in conformity with law about real and false dangers i call and maintain to be courage unless you disagree but i agree he replied for i suppose that you mean to exclude more uninstructed courage such as that of a wild beast or a slave this in your opinion is not the courage which law ordains and ought to have another name most certainly then i may infer courage to be such as you describe why yes said i you may and if you add the words of a citizen you will not be far wrong. hereafter if you like we will carry the examination further but at present we are seeking not for courage but justice and for the purpose of our inquiry we have said enough you are right he replied Two virtues remain to be discovered in the state, first temperance, and then justice, which is the end of our search. Very true. Now, can we find justice without troubling ourselves about temperance? I do not know how that could be accomplished, he said, nor do I desire that justice should be brought to light and temperance lost sight of, and therefore I wish that you would do me the favour of considering temperance first. Certainly, I replied, I should not be justified in refusing your request. Then consider, he said. Yes, I replied, I will. And as far as I can at present see, the virtue of temperance has more of the nature of harmony and symphony than the preceding. How so? he asked. Temperance, I replied, is the ordering or controlling of certain pleasures and desires. This is curiously enough implied in the saying of a man being his own master, and other traces of the same notion may be found in language. No doubt, he said, there is something ridiculous in the expression master of himself, for the master is also the servant, and the servant the master, and in all these modes of speaking the same person is denoted. Certainly. The meaning is, I believe, that in the human soul there is a better and also a worse principle, and when the better has the worse under control, then a man is said to be master of himself, and this is a term of praise. But when, owing to evil education or association, the better principle, which is also the smaller, is overwhelmed by the greater mass of the worse, In this case he is blamed and is called the slave of self and unprincipled. Yes, there is reason in that. And now, I said, look at our newly created state, and there you will find one of these two conditions realized, for the state, as you will acknowledge, may be justly called master of itself, if the words temperance and self-mastery truly express the rule of the better part over the worse yes he said i see that what you say is true let me further note that the manifold and complex pleasures and desires and pains are generally found in children and women and servants and in the free men so called who are of the lowest and more numerous class certainly he said whereas the simple and moderate desires which follow reason and are under the guidance of mind and true opinion are to be found only in a few, and those the best-born and best-educated. Very true. These, too, as you may perceive, have a place in our state, and the meaner desires of the many are held down by the virtuous desires and wisdom of the few. that I perceive,' he said. Then, if there be any city which may be described as master of its own pleasures and desires, and master of itself, "'Ours may claim such a designation?' "'Certainly,' he replied. "'It may also be called temperate, and for the same reasons?' "'Yes. "'And if there be any state in which rulers and subjects will be agreed as to the question who are to rule, that again will be our state?' "'Undoubtedly. "'And the citizens being thus agreed among themselves, in which class will temperance be found, in the rulers or in their subjects?' ''In both, as I should imagine,'' he replied. ''Do you observe that we are not far wrong in our guess that temperance was a sort of harmony?'' ''Why so?'' ''Why, because temperance is unlike courage and wisdom, each of which resides in a part only, the one making the state wise and the other valiant. Not so temperance, which extends to the whole and runs through all the notes of the scale and...'' produces a harmony of the weaker and the stronger and the middle class whether you suppose them to be stronger or weaker in wisdom or power or numbers or wealth or anything else most truly then may we deem temperance to be the agreement of the naturally superior and inferior as to the right of rule of either both in states and individuals i entirely agree with you and so i said we may consider three out of the four virtues to have been discovered in our state. The last of these qualities which make a state virtuous must be justice, if we only knew what that was. The inference is obvious. The time has then arrived, Glaucon, when, like huntsmen, we should surround the cover and look sharp that justice does not steal away and pass out of sight and escape us, for beyond a doubt she is somewhere in this country. Watch, therefore, and strive to catch a sight of her, and if you see her first, let me know. Would that I could, but you should regard me rather as a follower, who has just eyes enough to see what you show him. That is about as much as I am good for. Offer a prayer with me and follow. I will, but you must show me the way. Here is no path I said and the wood is dark and perplexing still we must push on let us push on end of book 4 part 1 book 4 part 2 of the republic BY PLATO. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob nefeld Here I saw something. Hello, I said. I begin to perceive a track, and I believe that the quarry will not escape. Good news, he said. Truly, I said, we are stupid fellows. Why so? "'Why, my good sir, at the beginning of our inquiry, ages ago, there was justice tumbling out at our feet, and we never saw her. Nothing could be more ridiculous. Like people who go about looking for what they have in their hands. That was the way with us. We looked not at what we were seeking, but at what was far off in the distance, and therefore, I suppose, we missed her.' "'What do you mean?' I mean to say that in reality, for a long time past, we have been talking of justice and have failed to recognize her. I grow impatient at the length of your exordium. Well, then, tell me, I said, whether I am right or not. You remember the original principle which we were always laying down at the foundation of the state, that one man should practice one thing only, the thing to which his nature was best adapted. Now, justice is this principle, or a part of it. Yes, we often said that one man should do one thing only. Further, we affirmed that justice was doing one's own business and not being a busybody. We said so again and again, and many others have said the same to us. Yes, we said so. Then to do one's own business in a certain way may be assumed to be justice, Can you tell me whence I derive this inference? I cannot, but I should like to be told. Because I think that this is the only virtue which remains in the state when the other virtues of temperance and courage and wisdom are abstracted, and that this is the ultimate cause and condition of the existence of all of them, and while remaining in them is also their preservative, and we were saying that if the three were discovered by us justice would be the fourth or remaining one that follows of necessity if we are asked to determine which of these four qualities by its presence contributes most to the excellence of the state whether the agreement of rulers and subjects or the preservation in the soldiers of the opinion which the law ordains about the true nature of dangers or wisdom and watchfulness in the rulers or whether this other which I am mentioning, and which is found in children and women, slave and freeman, artisan, ruler, subject, the quality, I mean, of every one doing his own work, and not being a busybody, would claim the palm, the question is not so easily answered. Certainly, he replied, there would be a difficulty in saying which then the power of each individual in the state to do his own work appears to compete with the other political virtues wisdom temperance courage yes he said and the virtue which enters into this competition is justice exactly let us look at the question from another point of view are not the rulers in a state those to whom you would entrust the office of determining suits at law certainly and are suits decided on any other ground, but that a man may neither take what is another's, nor be deprived of what is his own? Yes, that is their principle. Which is a just principle? Yes. Then on this view also, justice will be admitted to be the having and doing what is a man's own and belongs to him? Very true. Think now, and say whether you agree with me or not suppose a carpenter to be doing the business of a cobbler or a cobbler of a carpenter and suppose them to exchange their implements or their duties or the same person to be doing the work of both or whatever be the change do you think that any great harm would result to the state not much but when the cobbler or any other man whom nature designed to be a trader having his heart lifted up by wealth or strength or the number of his followers or any like advantage attempts to force his way into the class of warriors or a warrior into that of legislators and guardians for which he is unfitted and either to take the implements or the duties of the other or when a man is trainer legislator and warrior all in one then i think you will agree with me in saying that this interchange and this meddling of one with another is the ruin of the state most true seeing then i said that there are three distinct classes any meddling of one with another or the change of one into another is the greatest harm to the state and may be most justly termed evil-doing precisely and the greatest degree of evil-doing to one's own city would be termed by you injustice certainly this then is injustice and on the other hand when the trader the auxiliary and the guardian each do their own business that is justice and will make the city just i agree with you we will not i said be over positive as yet but if on trial this conception of justice be verified in the individual as well as in the state there will be no longer any room for doubt if it be not verified we must have a fresh inquiry first let us complete the old investigation which we began as you remember under the impression that if we could previously examine justice on the larger scale there would be less difficulty in discerning her in the individual that larger example appeared to be the state and accordingly we constructed as good a one as we could, knowing well that in the good state justice would be found. Let the discovery which we made be now applied to the individual. If they agree, we shall be satisfied, or, if there be a difference in the individual, we will come back to the state and have another trial of the theory. The friction of the two, when rubbed together, may possibly strike a light in which justice will shine forth, and the vision which is then revealed, we will fix in our souls. That will be in regular course. Let us do as you say." I proceeded to ask, when two things, a greater and less, are called by the same name, are they like or unlike in so far as they are called the same? Like, he replied the just man then if we regard the idea of justice only will be like the just state he will and a state was thought by us to be just when the three classes in the state severally did their own business and also thought to be temperate and valiant and wise by reason of certain other affections and qualities of these same classes true he said and so of the individual we may assume that he has the same three principles in his own soul which we find in the state and he may be rightly described in the same terms because he is affected in the same manner certainly he said once more then o my friend we have alighted upon an easy question whether the soul has these three principles or not an easy question nay rather socrates the proverb holds that hard is the good very true i said and i do not think that the method which we are employing is at all adequate to the accurate solution of this question the true method is another and a longer one still we may arrive at a solution not below the level of the previous enquiry. may we not be satisfied with that he said under the circumstances i am quite content i too i replied shall be extremely well satisfied then faint not in pursuing the speculation he said must we not acknowledge i said that in each of us there are the same principles and habits which there are in the state and that from the individual they pass into the state how else can they come there Take the quality of passion or spirit. It would be ridiculous to imagine that this quality, when found in states, is not derived from the individuals who are supposed to possess it. For example, the Thracians, the Scythians, and in general the northern nations, and the same may be said of the love of knowledge, which is the special characteristic of our part of the world, or the love of money, which may, with equal truth, be attributed to the Phoenicians and Egyptians exactly so he said there is no difficulty in understanding this none whatever but the question is not quite so easy when we proceed to ask whether these principles are three or one whether that is to say we learn with one part of our nature are angry with another and with a third part desire the satisfaction of our natural appetites or whether the whole soul comes into play in each sort of action to determine that is the difficulty.' "'Yes,' he said, "'there lies the difficulty. Then let us now try and determine whether they are the same or different.' "'How can we?' he asked. I replied as follows. The same thing clearly cannot act or be acted upon in the same part, or in relation to the same thing at the same time in contrary ways. And therefore "'Whatever this contradiction occurs in things apparently the same, we know that they are really not the same, but different.' "'Good. For example,' I said, "'can the same thing be at rest and in motion at the same time in the same part?' "'Impossible. Still,' I said, "'let us have a more precise statement of terms, lest we should hereafter fall out by the way.' imagine the case of a man who is standing and also moving his hands and his head and suppose a person to say that one and the same person is in motion and at rest at the same moment to such a mode of speech we should object and should rather say that one part of him is in motion while another is at rest very true and suppose the objector to refine still further and to draw the nice distinction that not only parts of tops but whole tops, when they spin round with their pegs fixed on the spot, are at rest and in motion at the same time, and he may say the same of anything which revolves in the same spot, his objection would not be admitted by us, because in such cases things are not at rest and in motion in the same parts of themselves we should rather say that they have both an axis and a circumference and that the axis stands still for there is no deviation from the perpendicular and that the circumference goes round but if while revolving the axis inclines either to the right or left forwards or backwards then in no point of view can they be at rest that is the correct mode of describing them he replied then none of these objections will confuse us or incline us to believe that the same thing at the same time, in the same part or in relation to the same thing, can act or be acted upon in contrary ways. Certainly not, according to my way of thinking. Yet, I said, that we may not be compelled to examine all such objections, and prove at length that they are untrue, let us assume their absurdity and go forward on the understanding that hereafter if this assumption turn out to be untrue all the consequences which follow shall be withdrawn yes he said that will be the best way well i said would you not allow that assent and dissent desire and aversion attraction and repulsion are all of them opposites whether they are regarded as active or passive for that makes no difference in the fact of their opposition yes he said they are opposites well i said and hunger and thirst and the desires in general and again willing and wishing all these you would refer to the classes already mentioned you would say would you not that the soul of him who desires is seeking after the object of his desire or that he is drawing to himself the thing which he wishes to possess or again when a person wants anything to be given him his mind longing for the realization of his desire intimates his wish to have it by a nod of assent as if he had been asked a question very true and what would you say of unwillingness and dislike and the absence of desire Should not these be referred to the opposite class of repulsion and rejection? Certainly. Admitting this to be true of desire generally, let us suppose a particular class of desires, and out of these we will select hunger and thirst, as they are termed, which are the most obvious of them. Let us take that class, he said. The object of one is food, and of the other drink? Yes and here comes the point. Is not thirst the desire which the soul has of drink, and of drink only, not of drink qualified by anything else? For example, warm or cold, or much or little, or, in a word, drink of any particular sort. But if the thirst be accompanied by heat, then the desire is of cold drink, or, if accompanied by cold, then of warm drink or if the thirst be excessive, then the drink which is desired will be excessive, or if not great, the quantity of drink will also be small. But thirst, pure and simple, will desire drink, pure and simple, which is the natural selection of thirst, as food is of hunger. "'Yes,' he said, "'the simple desire is, as you say, in every case of the simple object, and the qualified desire of the qualified object.' But here a confusion may arise, and I should wish to guard against an opponent starting up and saying that no man desires drink only, but good drink, or food only, but good food. For good is the universal object of desire, and thirst being a desire will necessarily be thirst after good drink, and the same is true of every other desire. Yes, he replied, the opponent might have something to say nevertheless i should still maintain that of relatives some have a quality attached to either term of the relation others are simple and have their correlatives simple i do not know what you mean well you know of course that the greater is relative to the less certainly and the much greater to the much less yes and the sometime greater to the sometime less and the greater that is to be to the less that is to be. "'Certainly,' he said. "'And so, of more and less, and of other correlative terms, such as the double and the half, or or again the heavier and the lighter, the swifter and the slower, and of hot and cold, and of any other relatives, is not this true of all of them?' "'Yes. And does not the same principle hold in the sciences? The object of science is knowledge, assuming that to be the true definition, but the object of a particular science is a particular kind of knowledge. I mean, for example, that the science of house-building is a kind of knowledge which is defined and distinguished from other kinds, and is therefore termed architecture. Certainly, because it has a particular quality which no other has, yes, and it has this particular quality because it has an object of a particular kind, and this is true of the other arts and sciences. Yes. Now then, if I made myself clear, you will understand my original meaning in what I said about relatives. My meaning was that if one term of a relation is taken alone, the other is taken alone. If one term is qualified, the other is also qualified i do not mean to say that relatives may not be desperate or that the science of health is healthy or of disease necessarily diseased or that the sciences of good and evil are therefore good and evil but only that when the term science is no longer used absolutely but has a qualified object which in this case is the nature of health and disease it becomes defined and is hence called not merely science but the science of medicine. I quite understand, and I think as you do. Would you not say that thirst is one of these essentially relative terms, having clearly a relation? Yes, thirst is relative to drink. And a certain kind of thirst is relative to a certain kind of drink. But thirst taken alone is neither of much nor little, nor of good nor bad, nor of any particular kind of drink but of drink only. Certainly. Then the soul of the thirsty one, in so far as he is thirsty, desires only drink, for this he yearns and tries to obtain it. That is plain. And if you suppose something which pulls a thirsty soul away from drink, that must be different from the thirsty principle which draws him like a beast to drink. For as we were saying, The same thing cannot at the same time, with the same part of itself, act in contrary ways about the same. Impossible! No more than you can say that the hands of the archer push and pull the bow at the same time. But what you say is that one hand pushes and the other pulls." "'Exactly so,' he replied. "'And might a man be thirsty and yet unwilling to drink?' "'Yes.' He said it constantly happens and in such a case what is one to say would you not say that there was something in the soul bidding a man to drink and something else forbidding him which is other and stronger than the principle which bids him i should say so and the forbidding principle is derived from reason and that which bids and attracts proceeds from passion and disease clearly then we may fairly assume that they are two, and that they differ from one another. The one with which a man reasons, we may call the rational principle of the soul. The other, we may call the rational principle of the soul. The other, with which he loves and hungers and thirsts and feels the flutterings of any other desire, may be termed the irrational or appetitive, the ally of sundry pleasures and satisfactions. Yes, he said, we may fairly assume them to be different. Then let us finally determine that there are two principles existing in the soul. And what of passion or spirit? Is it a third, or akin to one of the preceding? I should be inclined to say akin to desire. Well, I said there is a story which I remember to have heard, and in which I put faith. The story is that Leontius, the son of Alglaion, coming up one day from the Piraeus, under the north wall on the outside, observed some dead bodies lying on the ground at the place of execution. He felt a desire to see them, and also a dread and abhorrence of them. For a time he struggled and covered his eyes but at length the desire got the better of him and forcing them open he ran up to the dead bodies saying look ye wretches take your fill of the fair sight i have heard the story myself he said the moral of the tale is that anger at times goes to war with desire as though they were two distinct things yes that is the meaning he said and are there not many other cases in which we observe that when a man's desires violently prevail over his reason he reviles himself and is angry at the violence within him and that in this struggle which is like the struggle of factions in a state his spirit is on the side of his reason but for the passionate or spirited element to take part with the desires when reason decides that she should not be opposed is a sort of thing which i believe that you never observed occurring in yourself nor as i should imagine in any one else certainly not suppose that a man thinks he has done a wrong to another the nobler he is the less able he is to feel indignant at any suffering such as hunger or cold or any other pain which the injured person may inflict upon him these he deems to be just and as i say his anger refuses to be excited by them true he said but when he thinks that he is the sufferer of the wrong then he boils and chafes and is on the side of what he believes to be justice and because he suffers hunger or cold or other pain he is only the more determined to persevere and conquer his noble spirit will not be quelled until he either slays or is slain or until he hears the voice of the shepherd, that is, reason, bidding his dog bark no more. The illustration is perfect, he replied. And in our state, as we were saying, the auxiliaries were to be dogs, and to hear the voice of the rulers, who are their shepherds. I perceive, I said, that you quite understand me. There is, however, a further point which I wish to consider. Of what point? you remember that passion or spirit appeared at first sight to be a kind of desire but now we should say quite the contrary for in the conflict of the soul spirit is arrayed on the side of the rational principle most assuredly but a further question arises is passion different from reason also or only a kind of reason in which latter case instead of three principles in the soul there will be only two, the rational and the concupiscent, or, rather, as the state was composed of three classes, traders, auxiliaries, counsellors, so may there not be in the individual soul a third element which is passion or spirit, and when not corrupted by bad education, is the natural auxiliary of reason. Yes, he said, there must be a third. Yes, I replied, if passion, which has already been shown to be different from desire, turns out also to be different from reason. But that is easily proved. We may observe even in young children that they are full of spirit almost as soon as they are born, whereas some of them never seem to attain the use of reason, and most of them late enough. "'Excellent,' I said. "'And you may see passion equally in brute animals. Which is a further proof of the truth of what you are saying. And we may once more appeal to the words of Homer, which have already been quoted by us. He smote his breast and thus rebuked his soul. For in this verse Homer has clearly supposed the power which reasons about the better and worse to be different from the unreasoning anger which is rebuked by it. Very true, he said. And so, after much tossing, We have reached land and are fairly agreed that the same principles which exist in the state exist also in the individual and that they are three in number. Exactly. Must we not then infer that the individual is wise in the same way and in virtue of the same quality which makes the state wise? Certainly. Also that the same quality which constitutes courage in the state constitutes courage in the individual, and that both the state and the individual bear the same relation to all the other virtues, assuredly, and the individual will be acknowledged by us to be just, in the same way in which the state is just? That follows, of course. We cannot but remember that the justice of the state consisted in each of the three classes doing the work of its own class we are not very likely to have forgotten he said we must recollect that the individual in whom the several qualities of his nature do their own work will be just and will do his own work yes he said we must remember that too and ought not the rational principle which is wise and has the care of the whole soul to rule and the passionate or spirited principle to be the subject and ally certainly And, as we were saying, the united influence of music and gymnastic will bring them into accord, nerving and sustaining the reason with noble words and lessons, and moderating and soothing and civilizing the wildness of passion by harmony and rhythm. Quite true, he said. And these two, thus nurtured and educated, and having learned truly to know their own functions, will rule over the concupiscent which in each of us is the largest part of the soul and by nature most insatiable of gain over this they will keep guard lest waxing great and strong with the fulness of bodily pleasures as they are termed the concupiscent soul no longer confined to her own sphere should attempt to enslave and rule those who are not her natural-born subjects and overturn the whole life of man very true he said both together will they not be the best defenders of the whole soul and the whole body against attacks from without the one counselling and the other fighting under his leader and courageously executing his commands and counsels true and he is to be deemed courageous whose spirit retains in pleasure and in pain the commands of reason, about what he ought or ought not to fear. Right, he replied. And him we will call wise, who has in him that little part which rules, and which proclaims these commands, that part too being supposed to have a knowledge of what is for the interest of each of the three parts, and of the whole. Assuredly, and would you not say that he is temperate who has these same elements in friendly harmony, in whom the one ruling principle of reason and the two subject ones of spirit and desire are equally agreed that reason ought to rule and do not rebel? Certainly, he said, that is the true account of temperance, whether in the state or individual. And surely, I said, we have just explained again and again how and by virtue of what quality a man will be just. That is very certain. And is justice dimmer in the individual, and is her form different, or is she the same which we found her to be in the state? There is no difference in my opinion, he said, because, if any doubt is still lingering in our minds, a few commonplace instances will satisfy us of the truth of what i am saying what sort of instances do you mean if the case is put to us we must not admit that the just state or the man who is trained in the principles of such a state will be less likely than the unjust to make away with a deposit of gold or silver would any one deny this no one he replied Will the just man or citizen ever be guilty of sacrilege or theft, or treachery either to his friends or to his country? Never. Neither will he ever break faith where there have been oaths or agreements? Impossible. No one will be less likely to commit adultery, or to dishonour his father and mother, or to fail in his religious duties? No one. And the reason is that each part of him is doing its own business whether in ruling or being ruled exactly so are you satisfied then that the quality which makes such men and such states is justice or do you hope to discover some other but not i indeed then our dream has been realized and the suspicion which we entertained at the beginning of our work of construction that some divine power must have conducted us to a primary form of justice Has now been verified? Yes, certainly. And the division of labour which required the carpenter and the shoemaker and the rest of the citizens to be doing each his own business and not another's was a shadow of justice, and for that reason it was of use? Clearly. But in reality, justice was such as we were describing being concerned, however, not with the outward man, but with the inward, which is the true self and concernment of man. For the just man does not permit the several elements within him to interfere with one another, or any of them to do the work of others. He sets in order his own inner life, and is his own master and his own law, and at peace with himself. And when he has bound together the three principles within him, which may be compared to the higher, lower, and middle notes of a scale and the intermediate intervals, when he has bound all these together, and is no longer many, but has become one entirely temperate and perfectly adjusted nature, then he proceeds to act, if he has to act, whether in a matter of property, or in the treatment of the body, or in some affair of politics or private business always thinking and calling that which preserves and cooperates with this harmonious condition just and good action and the knowledge which presides over it wisdom and which at any time impairs this condition he will call unjust action and the opinion which presides over it ignorance you have said the exact truth socrates very good and if we were to affirm that we had discovered the just man and the just state, and the nature of justice in each of them, we should not be telling a falsehood? Most certainly not. May we say so, then? Let us say so. And now, I said, injustice has to be considered. Clearly. Must not injustice be a strife? which arises among the three principles of meddlesomeness and interference and rising up of a part of the soul against the whole an assertion of unlawful authority which is made by a rebellious subject against a true prince of whom he is the natural vassal what is all this confusion and delusion but injustice and intemperance and cowardice and ignorance and every form of vice exactly so And if the nature of justice and injustice be known, then the meaning of acting unjustly and being unjust, or again of acting justly, will also be perfectly clear. What do you mean? he said. Why, I said, they are like disease and health, being in the soul just what disease and health are in the body. How so? he said. Why, I said that which is healthy causes health and that which is unhealthy causes disease yes and just actions cause justice and unjust actions cause injustice well that is certain and the creation of health is the institution of a natural order and government of one by another in the parts of the body and the creation of disease is the production of a state of things that varies with this natural order True and is not the creation of justice the institution of a natural order and government of one by another in the parts of the soul and the creation of injustice the production of a state of things at variance with the natural order exactly so he said then virtue is the health and beauty and well-being of the soul and vice the disease and weakness and deformity of the same true and do not good practices lead to virtue, and evil practices to vice, assuredly? Still, our old question of the comparative advantage of justice and injustice has not been answered. Which is the more profitable, to be just and act justly and practice virtue, whether seen or unseen, of gods and men, or to be unjust and act unjustly, if only unpunished and unreformed? in my judgment socrates the question has now become ridiculous we know that when the bodily constitution is gone life is no longer endurable though pampered with all kinds of meats and drinks and having all wealth and all power and shall we be told that when the very essence of the vital principle is undermined and corrupted life is still worth having to a man if only he be allowed to do whatever he likes with the single exception that he is not to acquire justice and virtue, or to escape from injustice and vice, assuming them both to be such as we have described. Yes, I said, the question is, as you say, ridiculous. Still, as we are near the spot at which we may see the truth in the clearest manner with our own eyes, let us not faint by the way. Certainly not, he replied. Come up hither, I said, and behold the various forms of vice, those of them I mean which are worth looking at. I am following you, he replied. Proceed. I said, the argument seems to have reached a height from which, as from some tower of speculation, a man may look down and see that virtue is one, but that the forms of vice are innumerable, there being four special ones, which are deserving of note.' "'What do you mean?' he said. "'I mean,' I replied, "'that there appear to be as many forms of the soul as there are distinct forms of the state.' "'How many?' "'There are five of the state, and five of the soul,' I said. "'What are they?' "'The first, I said, "'is that which we have been describing, and which may be said to have two names,' "'monarchy and aristocracy, "'accordingly as rule is exercised "'by one distinguished man "'or by many.' "'True,' he replied. "'But I regard "'the two names as describing "'one form only. "'For whether the government is in the hands "'of one or many, "'if the governors have been trained "'in the manner which we have supposed, "'the fundamental laws of the state "'will be maintained. "'That is true.' I replied. End of Book Four. Book Five, Part One of the Republic by Plato. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld such is the good and true city or state and the good and true man is of the same pattern and if this is right every other is wrong and the evil is one which affects not only the ordering of the state but also the regulation of the individual soul and is exhibited in four forms what are they he said i was proceeding to tell the order in which the four evil forms appeared to me to succeed one another when Polymarchus, who was sitting a little way off, just beyond Aramontus, began to whisper to him. Stretching forth his hand, he took hold of the upper part of his coat by the shoulder, and drew him towards him, leading forward himself so as to be quite close, and saying something in his ear, of which I only caught the words, Shall we let him off, or What shall we do? Certainly not, said Aramontus, raising his voice who is it i said whom you are refusing to let off you he said i repeated why am i especially not to be let off why he said we think that you are lazy and mean to cheat us out of a whole chapter which is a very important part of the story and you fancy that we shall not notice your airy way of proceeding as if it were self-evident to everybody that in the matter of women and children friends have all things in common.' "'And was I not right?' said "'Yes,' he said. "'But what is right in this particular case, like everything else, requires to be explained, for community may be of many kinds. Please, therefore, to say what sort of community you mean. We have been long expecting that you would tell us something about the family life of your citizens.' how they will bring children into the world and rear them when they have arrived and in general what is the nature of this community of women and children for we are of opinion that the right or wrong management of such matters will have a great and paramount influence on the state for good or for evil and now since the question is still undetermined and you are taking in hand another state we have resolved as you heard not to let you go until you give an account of all this to that resolution said glaucon you may regard me as saying agreed and without more ado said trisymachus you may consider us all to be equally agreed i said you know not what you are doing in thus assailing me what an argument are you raising about the state Just as I thought that I had finished, and was only too glad that I had laid this question to sleep, and was reflecting how fortunate I was in your acceptance of what I then said, you ask me to begin again at the very foundation, ignorant of what a hornet's nest of words you are stirring. Now I foresaw this gathering trouble, and avoided it. "'For what purpose do you conceive that we have come here?' said Trisimachus to look for gold or to hear discourse yes but discourse should have a limit yes socrates said glaucon and the whole of life is the only limit which wise men assign to the hearing of such discourses but never mind about us take heart yourself and answer the question in your own way what sort of community of women and children is this which is to prevail among our guardians And how shall we manage the period between birth and education, which seems to require the greatest care? Tell us how these things will be. Yes, my simple friend, but the answer is the reverse of easy. Many more doubts arise about this than about our previous conclusions, for the practicability of what is said may be doubted and looked at in another point of view whether the scheme if ever so practicable would be for the best is also doubtful hence i feel a reluctance to approach the subject lest our aspiration my dear friend should turn out to be a dream only fear not he replied for your audience will not be hard upon you they are not sceptical or hostile i said my good friend i suppose that you mean to encourage me by these words yes he said then let me tell you that you are doing just the reverse the encouragement which you offer would have been all very well had i myself believed that i knew what i was talking about to declare the truth about matters of high interest which a man honors and loves among wise men who love him need occasion no fear of faltering in his mind But to carry on an argument when you are yourself only a hesitating inquirer, which is my condition, is a dangerous and slippery thing, and the danger is not that I shall be laughed at, of which the fear would be childish, but that I shall miss the truth where I have most need to be sure of my footing and drag my friends after me in my fall. And I prayed Nemesis not to visit upon me the words which I am going to utter for I do indeed believe that to be an involuntary homicide is a less crime than to be a deceiver about beauty or goodness or justice in the matter of laws, and that it is a risk which I would rather run among enemies than among friends. Therefore you do well to encourage me. Glaucon laughed and said, Well, then, Socrates, in case you and your argument do us any serious injury, you shall be acquitted beforehand of the homicide, and shall not be held to be a deceiver. Take courage, then, and speak. Well, I said, the law says that when a man is acquitted he is free from guilt, and what holds at law may hold in argument. Then why should you mind? Well, I replied, i suppose that i must retrace my steps and say what i perhaps ought to have said before in the proper place the part of the men has been played out and now properly enough comes the turn of the women of them i will proceed to speak and the more readily since i am invited by you For men, born and educated like our citizens, the only way, in my opinion, of arriving at a right conclusion about the possession and use of women and children is to follow the path on which we originally started, when we said that the men were to be the guardians and watchdogs of the herd. True. Let us further suppose the birth and education of our women to be subject to similar or nearly similar regulations. Then we shall see whether the result accords with our design. What do you mean? What I mean may be put into the form of a question, I said. Are dogs divided into he's and she's, or do they both share equally in hunting and in keeping watch and in other duties of dogs? Or do we entrust to the males the entire and exclusive care of the flocks, while we leave the females at home, under the idea that the bearing and suckling their puppies is labor enough for them." "'No,' he said, "'they share alike. The only difference between them is that the males are stronger and the females weaker. But can you use different animals for the same purpose, unless they are bred and fed in the same way?' "'You cannot.' "'Then if women are to have the same duties as men, they must have the same nurture and education?' "'Yes.' THE EDUCATION WHICH WAS ASSIGNED TO THE MEN WAS MUSIC AND GYMNASTIC? YES. THEN WOMEN MUST BE TAUGHT MUSIC AND GYMNASTIC, AND ALSO THE ART OF WAR, WHICH THEY MUST PRACTICE LIKE THE MEN. THAT IS THE INFERENCE, I SUPPOSE. I SHOULD RATHER EXPECT, I SAID, THAT SEVERAL OF OUR PROPOSALS, IF THEY ARE CARRIED OUT, BEING UNUSUAL, MAY APPEAR RIDICULOUS. NO DOUBT OF IT. Yes and the most ridiculous of all will be the sight of women naked in the palestra exercising with the men especially when they are no longer young they certainly will not be a vision of beauty any more than the enthusiastic old men who in spite of wrinkles and ugliness continue to frequent the gymnasia yes indeed he said according to present notions the proposal would be thought ridiculous but then i said As we have determined to speak our minds, we must not fear the jest of the wits which will be directed against this sort of innovation, how they will talk of women's attainments both in music and gymnastic, and above all about their wearing armor and riding upon horseback. Very true, he replied. Yet, having begun, we must go forward to the rough places of the law at the same time begging of these gentlemen for once in their life to be serious. Not long ago, as we shall remind them, the Hellenes were of the opinion, which is still generally received among the barbarians, that the sight of a naked man was ridiculous and improper, and when first the Cretans and then the Lacedaemonians introduced a custom, the wits of that day might equally have ridiculed the innovation. No doubt but when experience showed that to let all things be uncovered was far better than to cover them up and the ludicrous effect to the outward eye vanished before the better principle which reason asserted then the man was perceived to be a fool who directs the shafts of his ridicule at any other sight but that of folly and vice or seriously inclines to weigh the beautiful by any other standard but that of the good very true he replied first, then, whether the question is to be put in jest or in earnest, let us come to an understanding about the nature of woman. Is she capable of sharing either wholly or partially in the actions of men, or not at all? And is the art of war one of those arts in which she can or cannot share? That will be the best way of commencing the inquiry, and will probably lead to the fairest conclusion. That will be much the best way." Shall we take the other side first, and begin by arguing against ourselves? In this manner the adversary's position will not be undefended. Why not?' he said. Then let us put a speech into the mouths of our opponents. They will say, Socrates and Glaucard, no adversary need convict you, for you yourselves, at the first foundation of the state, admitted the principle that everybody was to do the one work suited to his own nature. And certainly, if I am not mistaken, such an admission was made by us. And do not the natures of men and women differ very much indeed? And we shall reply, of course they do. Then we shall be asked whether the tasks assigned to men and to women should not be different and such as are agreeable to their different natures. Certainly they should but if so have you not fallen into a serious inconsistency in saying that men and women whose natures are so entirely different ought to perform the same actions what defence will you make for us my good sir against any one who offers these objections that is not an easy question to answer when asked suddenly and i shall and i do beg of you to draw out the case on our side these are the objections glaucon and there are many others of a like kind which i foresaw long ago they made me afraid and reluctant to take in hand any law about the possession and nurture of women and children by zeus he said the problem to be solved is anything but easy why yes i said but the fact is that when a man is out of his depth whether he has fallen into a little swimming bath or into mid-ocean He has to swim all the same. Very true. And must not we swim and try to reach the shore? We will hope that Arian's dolphin or some other miraculous help may save us. I suppose so, he said. Well, then, let us see if any way of escape can be found. We acknowledged, did we not, that different natures are to have different pursuits, and that men's and women's natures are different and now what are we saying that different natures ought to have the same pursuits this is the inconsistency which is charged upon us precisely verily glaucon i said glorious is the power of the art of contradiction why do you say so because i think that many a man falls into the practice against his will when he thinks that he is reasoning he is really disputing just because he cannot define and divide, and so know that of which he is speaking. And he will pursue a merely verbal opposition in the spirit of contention, and not of fair discussion. Yes, he replied, such is very often the case. But what has that to do with us and our argument? A great deal, for there is certainly a danger of our getting unintentionally into a verbal opposition. In what way? why we valiantly and pugnaciously insist upon the verbal truth that different natures ought to have different pursuits but we never considered at all what was the meaning of sameness or difference of nature or why we distinguished them when we assigned different pursuits to different natures and the same to the same natures why no he said that was never considered by us i said suppose that by way of illustration we were to ask the question whether there is not an opposition in nature between bald men and hairy men and if this is admitted by us then if bald men are cobblers we should forbid the hairy men to be cobblers and conversely that would be a jest he said yes i said a jest and why because we never meant when we constructed the state that the opposition of natures should extend to every difference, but only to those differences which affected the pursuit in which the individual is engaged. We should have argued, for example, that a physician and one who is in mind a physician may be said to have the same nature. True. Whereas the physician and the carpenter have different natures. Certainly. And if, I said, the male and female sex appear to differ in their fitness for any art or pursuit we should say that such pursuit or art ought to be assigned to one or the other of them but if the difference consists only in women bearing and men begetting children this does not amount to a proof that a woman differs from a man in respect to the sort of education she should receive and we shall therefore continue to maintain that our guardians and their wives ought to have the same pursuits very true he said next we shall ask our opponent how in reference to any of the pursuits or arts of civic life the nature of a woman differs from that of a man that will be quite fair and perhaps he like yourself will reply that to give a sufficient answer on the instant is not easy But, after a little reflection, there is no difficulty. Yes, perhaps. Suppose, then, that we invite him to accompany us in the argument, and then we may hope to show him that there is nothing peculiar in the constitution of women which would affect them in the administration of the state. By all means. Let us say to him, come now, and we will ask you a question when you spoke of a nature gifted or not gifted in any respect did you mean to say that one man will acquire a thing easily another with difficulty a little learning will lead the one to discover a great deal whereas the other after much study and application no sooner learns than he forgets or again did you mean that the one has a body which is a good servant to his mind while the body of the other is a hindrance to him would not these be the sort of differences which distinguish the man gifted by nature from the one who is ungifted no one will deny that and can you mention any pursuit of mankind in which the male sex has not all these gifts and qualities in a higher degree than the female need i waste time in speaking of the art of weaving and the management of pancakes and preserves in which womankind does really appear to be great and in which for her to be beaten by a man is of all things the most absurd you are quite right he replied in maintaining the general inferiority of the female sex although many women are in many things superior to many men yet on the whole what you say is true and if so my friend i said there is no special faculty of administration in a state which a woman has because she is a woman or which a man has by virtue of his sex but the gifts of nature are alike diffused in both all the pursuits of men are the pursuits of women also but in all of them a woman is inferior to a man very true then are we to impose all our enactments on men and none of them on women that will never do one woman has a gift of healing another not one is a musician, and another has no music in her nature. Very true. And one woman has a turn for gymnastics and military exercises, and another is unwarlike and hates gymnastics. Certainly. And one woman is a philosopher, and another is an enemy of philosophy. One has spirit, and another is without spirit. That is also true. Then one woman will have the temper of a guardian, and another not was not the selection of the male guardians determined by differences of this sort yes men and women alike possess the qualities which make a guardian they differ only in their comparative strength or weakness obviously and those women who have such qualities are to be selected as the companions and colleagues of men who have similar qualities and whom they resemble in capacity and in character very true and ought not the same natures to have the same pursuits they ought then as we were saying before there is nothing unnatural in assigning music and gymnastic to the wives of the guardians to that point we come round again certainly not the law which we then enacted was agreeable to nature and therefore not an impossibility or mere aspiration and the contrary practice which prevails at present is in reality a violation of nature.' "'That appears to be true. We had to consider first whether our proposals were possible, and secondly whether they are the most beneficial.' "'Yes.' "'And the possibility has been acknowledged?' "'Yes.' "'The very great benefit was next to be established?' "'Quite so.' "'You will admit that the same education which makes a man a good guardian, will make a woman a good guardian for their original nature is the same yes i should like to ask you a question what is it would you say that all men are equal in excellence or is one man better than another the latter and in the commonwealth which we are founding do you conceive the guardians who have been brought up on our model system to be more perfect men or the cobblers whose education has been cobbling what a ridiculous question you have answered me i replied well and may we not further say that our guardians are the best of our citizens by far the best and will not their wives be the best women yes by far the best And can there be anything better for the interests of the State than that the men and women of the State should be as good as possible? There could be nothing better. And this is what the arts of music and gymnastic, when present in such manner as we have described, will accomplish? Certainly. Then we have made an enactment not only possible, but in the highest degree beneficial to the State? True then let the wives of our guardians strip, for their virtue will be their robe, and let them share in the toils of war and the defence of their country. Only in the distribution of labours the lighter are to be assigned to the women who are the weaker natures, but in other respects their duties are to be the same. And as for the man who laughs at naked women exercising their bodies from the best of motives, in his laughter he is plucking a fruit of unripe wisdom and he himself is ignorant of what he is laughing at, or what he is about. For that is, and ever will be, the best of sayings, that the useful is the noble, and the hurtful is the base. Very true. Here, then, is one difficulty in our law about women, which we may say that we have now escaped. The wave has not swallowed us up alive for enacting that the guardians of either section have all the pursuits in common, To the utility, and also to the possibility of this arrangement, the consistency of the argument with itself bears witness. Yes, that was a mighty wave which you have escaped. Yes, I said, but a greater is coming. You will not think much of this when you see the next. Go on, let me see. The law, I said, which is the sequel of this, and of all that has preceded, is to the following effect that the wives of our guardians are to be common, and their children are to be common, and no parent is to know his own child, nor any child his parent. Yes, he said, that is a much greater way than the other, and the possibility as well as the utility of such a law are far more questionable. I do not think, I said, that there can be any dispute about the very great utility of having wives and children in common. The possibility is quite another matter, and will be very much disputed. I think that a good many doubts may be raised about both. You imply that the two questions must be combined, I replied. Now, I meant that you should admit the utility, and in this way, as I thought, I should escape from one of them, and then there would remain only the possibility. But that little attempt is detected, and therefore you will please to give a defense of both." well i said i submit to my fate yet grant me a little favour let me feast my mind with the dream as day-dreamers are in the habit of feasting themselves when they are walking alone for before they have discovered any means of affecting their wishes that is a matter which never troubles them they would rather not tire themselves by thinking about possibilities but assuming that what they desire is already granted to them they proceed with their plan and delight in detailing what they mean to do when their wish has come true that is a way which they have of not doing much good to a capacity which was never good for much now i myself am beginning to lose heart and i should like with your permission to pass over the question of possibility at present assuming therefore the possibility of the proposal i shall now proceed to inquire how the rulers will carry out these arrangements and i shall demonstrate that our plan if executed will be of the greatest benefit to the state and to the guardians first of all then if you have no objection i will endeavour with your help to consider the advantages of the measure and hereafter the question of possibility i have no objection proceed First. I think that if our rulers and our auxiliaries are to be worthy of the name which they bear, there must be willingness to obey in the one, and the power of command in the other. The guardians must themselves obey the laws, and they must also imitate the spirit of them in any details which are entrusted to their care. That is right, he said. You, I said, who are their legislator, having selected the men, will now select the women and give them to them they must be as far as possible of like natures with them they must live in common houses and meet at common meals none of them will have anything specially his or her own they will be together and will be brought up together and will associate at gymnastic exercises and so they will be drawn by a necessity of their natures to have intercourse with each other necessity is not too strong a word i think yes He said necessity not geometrical but another sort of necessity which lovers know and which is far more convincing and constraining to the mass of mankind true i said and this glaucon like all the rest must proceed after an orderly fashion in a city of the blessed licentiousness is an unholy thing which the rulers will forbid yes he said and it ought not to be permitted Then clearly the next thing will be to make matrimony sacred in the highest degree, and what is most beneficial will be deemed sacred. Exactly. And how can marriages be made most beneficial? That is a question which I put to you, because I see in your house dogs for hunting, and of the nobler sort of birds not a few. Now, I beseech you, do tell me, have you ever attended to their pairing and breeding? in what particulars why in the first place although they are all of a good sort are not some better than others true and do you breed from them all indifferently or do you take care to breed from the best only from the best and do you take the oldest or the youngest or only those of ripe age i choose only those of ripe age and if care was not taken in the breeding your dogs and birds would greatly deteriorate certainly and the same of horses and animals in general undoubtedly good heavens my dear friend i said what consummate skill will our rulers need if the same principle holds of the human species certainly the same principle holds but why does this involve any particular skill because i said "'Our rulers will often have to practice upon the body corporate with medicines. Now, you know that when patients do not require medicines, but have only to be put under a regimen, the inferior sort of practitioner is deemed to be good enough. But when medicine has to be given, then the doctor should be more of a man.' "'That is quite true,' he said. "'But to what are you alluding?' "'I mean,' I replied, that our rulers will find a considerable dose of falsehood and deceit necessary for the good of their subjects we were saying that the use of all these things regarded as medicines might be of advantage and we were very right and this lawful use of them seems likely to be often needed in the regulations of marriages and births how so why i said the principle has already been laid down that the best of either sex should be united with the best as often and the inferior with the inferior as seldom as possible and that they should rear the offspring of the one sort of union but not of the other if the flock is to be maintained in first-rate condition now these goings-on must be a secret which the rulers only know and there will be a further danger of our herd as the guardians may be termed "'Breaking out into rebellion. "'Very true. "'Had we not better appoint certain festivals "'at which we will bring together the brides and bridegrooms, "'and sacrifices will be offered, "'and suitable hymenial songs composed by our poets? "'The number of weddings is a matter which must be left "'to the discretion of the rulers, "'whose aim will be to preserve the average of population. "'There are many other things which they will have to consider.' such as the effects of wars and diseases and similar agencies, in order, as far as this is possible, to prevent the state from becoming either too large or too small. Certainly, he replied. We shall have to invent some ingenious kind of lots, which the less worthy may draw on each occasion of our bringing them together, and then they will accuse their own ill-luck, but not the ruler's. To be sure, he said, and i think that our braver and better youth besides their other honours and rewards might have greater facilities of intercourse with women given them their bravery will be a reason and such fathers ought to have as many sons as possible true and the proper officers whether male or female or both for offices are to be held by women as well as by men Yes. The proper officers will take the offspring of the good parents to the pen or fold, and there they will deposit them with certain nurses, who dwell in a separate quarter. But the offspring of the inferior, or of the better when they chance to be deformed, will be put away in some mysterious unknown place, as they should be. "'Yes,' he said, "'that must be done, if the breed of the guardians is to be kept pure.' They will provide for their nurture, and will bring the mothers to the fold when they are full of milk, taking the greatest possible care that no mother recognizes her own child, and other wet nurses may be engaged if more are required. Care will also be taken that the process of suckling shall not be protracted too long, and the mothers will have no getting up at night or other trouble, but will hand over all this sort of thing to the nurses and attendants. You suppose the wives of our guardians to have a fine easy time of it when they are having children why said i and so they ought let us however proceed with our scheme we were saying that the parents should be in the prime of life very true and what is the prime of life may it not be defined as a period of about twenty years in a woman's life and thirty in a man's which years do you mean to include a woman i said at twenty years of age may begin to bear children to the states and continue to bear them until forty a man may begin at five-and-twenty when he has passed the point at which the pulse of life beats quickest and continue to beget children until he be fifty-five certainly he said both in men and women those years are the prime of physical as well as of intellectual vigor any one above or below the prescribed ages who takes part in the public hymenials shall be said to have done an unholy and unrighteous thing. The child of which he is the father, if it steals into life, will have been conceived under auspices very unlike the sacrifices and prayers, which at each hymenial priestesses and priests and the whole city will offer, that the new generation may be better and more useful than their good and useful parents whereas his child will be the offspring of darkness and strange lust. "'Very true,' he replied. "'And the same law will apply to any one of those within the prescribed age who forms a connection with any woman in the prime of life without the sanction of the rulers. For we shall say that he is raising up a bastard to the state, uncertified and unconsecrated. "'Very true,' he replied.' this applies however only to those who are within the specified age after that we allow them to range at will except that a man may not marry his daughter or his daughter's daughter or his mother or his mother's mother and women on the other hand are prohibited from marrying their sons or fathers or son's son or father's father and so on in either direction and we grant all this accompanying the permission with strict orders to prevent any embryo which may come into being from seeing the light. And if any force away to the birth, the parents must understand that the offspring of such an union cannot be maintained, and arranged accordingly." "'That also,' he said, is a reasonable proposition. But how will they know who are fathers and daughters, and so on?' "'They will never know. The way will be this, dating from the day of the hymeneal The bridegroom who was then married will call all the male children who are born in the seventh and tenth month afterwards his sons, and the female children his daughters, and they will call him father, and he will call their children his grandchildren, and they will call the elder generation grandfathers and grandmothers. All who were begotten at the time when their fathers and mothers came together will be called their brothers and sisters, and these, as I was saying, will be forbidden to intermarry this however is not to be understood as an absolute prohibition of the marriage of brothers and sisters if the lot favours them and they receive the sanction of the pythian oracle the law will allow them quite right he replied such is the scheme glaucon according to which guardians of our state are to have their wives and families in common and now you would have the argument show that this community is consistent with the rest of our polity and also that nothing can be better, would you not? Yes, certainly. Shall we try to find a common basis by asking of ourselves what ought to be the chief aim of the legislator in making laws and in the organization of the state, what is the greatest good and what is the greatest evil, and then consider whether our previous description has the stamp of the good or of the evil? By all means. End of Book 5, Part 1. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it